Good morning. What a joy to be with you guys again this morning. Thank you, Steve. Uh, what a gift it is to be part of this community. Uh, this, this morning, I have the privilege of being able to talk about the stuff that we put in our mind, uh, the things we fill our heads with these days. And if you have an iPhone, it's pretty easy to tell what those things are. There's a thing in your settings called screen time. And it's one of the scariest parts of your phone that you can look at, and you can see how you actually spend your day. Most of us avoid that part of our phone for a good reason, uh, because we don't actually want to know. But it shows how much time you spend on social media and how much time you spend in the news and productivity and all sorts of other things, anything linked to your programs. Um, a few years back, I was leading a staff training time with my staff and specifically dealing with the area of time management. And so I thought I had a great idea. I thought, let's take a calendar, break it into 15-minute increments for the whole week, and let's fill out how we use all of our time for 15-minute increments for the whole week, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about it and share as a staff. Well, I had a mutiny against me. Um, people didn't want to do that. Uh, in fact, it wasn't just that they didn't want to share the results. No one wanted to know the answers to that. Like, no one wanted to fill that out. They didn't actually want to track their life in that way because they were so convicted by the results. And the truth is we, we don't have to do that kind of a filling out of a worksheet because the studies have been done that kind of show us that information across the country. And I was looking at a few of them this week, and it, <laughs> the information is a little bit, uh, I guess maybe it's expected, but it's a little overwhelming when you actually see it. So in 2020, pre-COVID, this is quarter one of 2020, the average person in America is spending two and a half hours a day on social media. Right? And that's average, so depending on age. If you're in the 16 to 24 range, it's at least an hour more than that. But it's not just social media that we're filling our heads with. We'll talk more about that, but it's also television which we, we think some may, some may seem is dying out, but Nielsen's study is looking at quarter one before COVID, which I'm sure has only increased since then. If you're in like the 18 to 34 bracket, it's an hour and a half of traditional TV. Now that doesn't include Netflix or Hulu or any streaming content. That's just purely straight up traditional TV. An hour and a half, 18 to 35. If you're in the next age bracket, 35 to 50, three and a half hours a day on average of television watching. 50 and up, on average, six hours a day of television watching. And this is from Nielsen's of the 50 and up crowd. And now that's on top of social media usage and news and all the other stuff that we're filling our heads with all day, every day, and comments from friends and coworkers or whatever else and all everything we learn in Zoom calls, right? And now obviously, some of these things are, are, are doubled up. I mean, I, I personally, many of you are like this as well. I mean, I can't imagine watching a TV series without, you know, flipping through my phone, reading news and checking email and doing other stuff. It's just, it just doesn't engage me enough. But so a lot of these things are doubled up. But the reality is we are filling our heads with, with so much stuff these days. And we got like this IV going into us and directly into our minds and our hearts. It's, it's, it's not so much an IV because an IV involves like an idea of a slow drip. And it's not as much a slow drip as like maybe like a giant sewage pipe just pouring directly into our hearts and minds like this toxic sludge of everything that's going on that we view online and we hear from friends and it's just pouring directly into us. And what are those things? Well, all we have to do is open up our Facebook feed and we see what's going in, right? It's you open up your Facebook feed and you're going to be assaulted with, with, with outrage and anger and, and look at those people over there and what are those people doing and can you believe what so-and-so said and, and look at this. And, or if maybe you're more refined than that and you, you think your parents' generation has taken over Facebook and so you're, you're an Instagram user or a TikTok user and then all you got to do is open up your feed and you're going to be assaulted with images of, of lives that seem to be better than ours right of these perfect lives with perfect filters on every photo that makes it think wow 
wow, I wish my life was more like that. Or you flip through the Insta stories and you see people just documenting their days and it just seems so much better and so much different than, than what we experience. And, and so what rises in our hearts, I mean, comparison and, and sometimes outrage and insecurities and angst about the quality of our life and what we're doing. And, and it's just, it's continual onslaught throughout the day of, of this outrage and comparison and, and division and angst and envy and jealousy that throughout the day just gets poured in more and more as we spend time and TV and, and news and, and, and social media. I mean, open up any news site these days. It's not just news, it's clickbait, right? It's people that are being paid for views, every one of them. And so the articles, the, the titles don't, aren't necessarily the article, it's trying to grab you in and it appeals to our basest instincts, right? It appeals to the outrage and the anger within us. And, and this is what we are filling our minds with day in and day out. For hours of every single day, this is what we do. And then mixed in there might be some cute baby photos, might, might be some, uh, so, so, some like Bible verses and things mixed in. But even those cute baby photos, those can sometimes lead us towards levels of comparison. If we've struggled to have a kid, or maybe we're single, we're tired of seeing all of our friends getting married and having children. Like, there's just so much that just creates that angst in our hearts these days. It seems like every day we're just swimming in these toxic waters. And that's what's filling our heads. And I've even touched on issues like likes and views and, and, and all these things that just fan into flame our insecurities or, or looking at follower ratios or streaks and all these other tools that social media companies have used and devised to keep us addicted and to keep us scrolling. I mean, you know, they hire people, behavioral scientists with PhDs in addiction, not to help us, but literally the companies hire those people to create more addiction, right? I mean, it's, it's insane what's going on and the science behind it to keep us addicted, to keep our heads stuck, like just feeding out of this pipe of, of, of things that is most of it, or not most, but a lot of it, negativity and things that, that take our eyes off of what is true and pure and lovely, as we're going to see today. Uh, and it's just amazing. In fact, I'd, I'd recommend, if you haven't seen already, watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix. There's a film worth watching to be able to just be recognized and aware of what is going on and the science behind all this stuff. But obviously social media isn't all bad. I mean, there's some great stuff on there too. And there's some uplifting and beautiful things. I mean, has anyone seen that, that video of like the little puppy hugging the duck? If you haven't, you gotta Google it. It's like the most beautiful image or video you'll ever see in your life. You just watch it, you just melt the cuteness of it, right? I mean, it's, there's, there's beautiful things, right? Social media can help us grow in empathy and a great tool for that. I mean, I hope all of us this year, in some ways, we've, we've, we've been able to see a little more through the eyes of our brothers and sisters of color in this past year and, and see what their experience is like in ways through social media, right? It can help us form online communities and create connection. It, it can help us build one another up. We can learn new skills. I mean, YouTube is amazing for home improvement or anything. Thing, right? I mean, there's, there's so much beauty of what we can do that's out there. We can uh, we learn about the world, learn new perspectives. We can study the Bible. But a bunch of verses or, or a few beautiful cat videos or, or, or funny things or fail videos that make us laugh. I mean, even watching The Chosen, another incredible film that streamed or, or, or TV series about Jesus. It's great that these things are there, but yet we're inundated with this infected toxicity that just is overwhelmingly affecting our minds and what we think and what we believe. You know, a study was done in 2018 at the University of Pennsylvania. It was the first study of its kind that tracked social media's impact on people. And, and they, they took a, a two groups of people, and one used social media as normal, and the other group, they limited them to 30 minutes a day of social media usage. And over that process, they were blown away by the results. 
by limiting social media usage just 30 minutes a day, they saw a massive turnaround, a huge turnaround in the emotional health of the people involved. And that's just limiting to 30 minutes a day. It made a massive difference. And that seems obvious. And if we limit the amount of toxic sludge going into our system, it should make us healthier. Right? Obviously, we should have less poison in our systems. Less angry, anger and outrage and division and angst and jealousy and envy and, and all those things. I, I remember a season of my own life when I was back in college that I got really into talk radio. And I even paid for a couple premium subscriptions to you know, get the, the inside scoop and the insights that no one else had. And as I look back upon that time, I mean, what that produced in me, well, it, it definitely made me a little more outraged. It made me more prone to tell everyone my opinions of these great insights I was learning from these people. But what kind of fruit did that produce in my life? Definitely not peace. Definitely not joy or kindness or, or gentleness. I mean, it did not produce any of the fruits of the spirit of having these new insights and all these things I was learning about the world and about news. And, and there were no fruits of the spirit unless being right all the time is a fruit I'm unaware of. Right? I mean, the, the, the fruits were lacking. And that's something in this last year of COVID, it seems like the fruits of the Spirit have been more and more lacking in the body of Christ. It seems like we kind of forgotten about that whole reality. And we're letting the culture kind of take over in that place. And that's a massive problem, one that Paul's talking about in this book of Philippians, because the fruits of the Spirit are the evidence that the gospel is being shown in our life, that we're living out the reality of the gospel. And if the fruits aren't visible in our lives, it means there is a massive problem that's going on. And so today, we're going to look at chapter 4, verse 8 and 9 of Philippians. And so in verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything of excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, this is a fascinating passage. In fact, it's unique in all of Pauline literature, as we'll talk about in just a second. But first, remember the context of what we're talking about here. I mean, a lot goes on in the week, but we're in the book of Philippians, for those that have forgotten. And in this book, Paul's chief goal is to get the Philippians back to living out the gospel with their lives, right? This upward call of Christ, living a life worthy of the gospel, to follow Paul's example, to, to, to follow Paul's example, who says that he follows the example of Christ. And that's that example that we talked about a couple weeks ago from chapter 2, where Christ came from heaven to earth and gave everything up for us. He says, have that mind, follow Christ's example, and lay your life down for others, right? That we need to love the way Christ has loved, right? The gospel must be proclaimed with our lives, not just our words. And he just finished in chapter 4 the context of telling them they need to rejoice, right? To not walk in disunity, but rejoice because Jesus is near and they need to, with all their worry and anxiousness, take that back to the Lord in prayer, and His peace will be with them. And so right here in verse 8, what's so unique about this, and this, this list that he gives us of telling, them, of telling them what to think about, where he says, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, and, and pure, and lovely, and commendable, and excellent, and worthy of praise. The thing that's so unique about this is here, Paul is not actually pulling from Scripture or, or spiritual things. I mean, pretty much every scholar agrees, these words are not... Christianese words. They're not words being yanked from other parts of the Bible. These are words coming out of Greek philosophy, of, of Greek virtues at the time. So Paul is actually taking, this list that he's using what is far more common or would be only found in, in listers of Greek virtues, espousing their morality and their virtues, not something he pulled out from scripture. And, and this is fascinating 
because Paul, we, we can try to spiritualize these words and look for biblical examples of them all, but that's not what Paul is doing here. He's looking at the culture of the Philippians, which, remember, is far more perverse, filled with far more idolatry and violence and brokenness than our society today. He's telling them, look at that society, and in that society, in your culture, look for the things that are pure and lovely and true and honorable, and noble, and righteous, and your and lovely, and things that are worthy of praise in your culture. Look for the things in, in the arts, in the music, in, in your history, in nature, in the other stuff around you, and find those things in your culture that are beautiful, Paul is saying. And, and as Christians, I think we struggle with this, because we tend to fall in a ditch on either side of these ones. And, and some of us, we, we fall in the ditch where, where maybe we see the culture, we go, that looks pretty cool, and we like the culture. And so we get into a habit of where we actually you know, jump with both feet into the culture. We, and we absorb the culture and we conform to the culture because the reality is we like the culture. We love all the stuff that's there to the point that you can't distinguish us from the culture. And a lot of Christians, we fall into that ditch where we fully engage to the level that there's no difference in us and we're not living out the kingdom life. Or as Christians, we fall into the ditch on the other side and we become modern day Pharisees. Because the word Pharisee literally means separated ones. And we become modern-day Pharisees. We separate ourselves from the culture. We look at what's going on of those Christians who have fully jumped in. We go, we're not going to be like that. And so we distance ourselves from the culture. We say, I don't want any of those things. And so as a result, we're just as bad as the other ones because we are away from the culture and we have no influence on the culture. We become separated ones, completely separate from what's going on in reality. And so we become maybe heavenly worthful or worthwhile or or have worth, but earthly useless because we become divided and separate from the culture around us. Paul gives us a far better way here. He says, look in the culture for the things that are beautiful and pure and, and lovely and worthy of praise. Look at the art and music and, and sport and entertainment and film and, and nature and look for these things that call out the beauty of God. Paul, Paul says that we, we shouldn't be using this Gnostic dualistic understanding of separating out the sacred and the secular, but we are whole people. The gospel touches every facet of life. We don't have to separate the categories of sacred music and secular music and sacred movies and secular movies, but we can, we can recognize amidst all the garbage that's on Facebook, there's a lot of beauty in there as well. There's some wonderful things in there. Amidst all the garbage that we find in the news these days and, and all the stuff that's going on, there is some that's genuinely beneficial and worthy of praise. Amidst all the trash that we find on TV and the movies and the filth that's out there, there's some stuff that's really beautiful. And there's films that are just are worthy of praise. And not only those starring Kirk Cameron, right? We can watch movies outside of that. We really can, right? There's, there's some great stuff that, doesn't, that he's not in. And, and, and this means that, that we can watch things that are beautiful and lovely. I mean, have you ever watched Planet Earth? I mean, oh my goodness, how can you watch that and not just sit back and just worship the glory of this living God and his creation? A couple years ago, I was, when when Blue Planet 2 came out, and I was watching, there's this episode where there's a submarine that goes down a mile below Antarctica. First time in all of history that anyone gets to see what's a mile below Antarctica. And everywhere the camera goes, you're seeing things that no human eye has ever seen in all the history of creation. 
And it just blew me away. I mean, I was just worshiping God. I mean, that this God that we serve, as you look at what's seen, I mean, there is such complexity and beauty and wonder. I mean, it is incredible. And we serve a God that so lavishes his beauty on creation, that is so extravagant, that he's not some utilitarian God that only does things that make perfect sense. He creates beauty that we will never see just because he loves beauty. He loves to create, and he loves lavishing his beauty on the world. I mean, an extravagant God. And there's so much of that beauty we can see in the world, in, in things of, of nature, and film, and music, and art, and, and sport. And Paul says, think about these things. But, and here's the big key, and here's where we go off track as a body. He says, use discernment. And, and the grid from which we're supposed to use is the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. And so Paul's message here is an incredible message for us. It's a message to say, don't disengage from the culture, but engage the culture, right? Don't let the culture form you, but we should be forming it. And, and instead of using a, letting the culture be our filter or letting Facebook's algorithms or Instagram's algorithms discern for us, we are supposed to be discerning according to what is true. Because that's our issue. We are really bad at discernment as Christians. We're really bad at filtering what we allow to fill our mind. And few of us can say what, what Paul says here in verse 8 is our reality. But in chapter 1, Paul gives us the answer. So chapter 1, verse 9, we already looked at a long time ago. Let's go back. Chapter 1, verse 9, he says, And it's my prayer to you that your love may abound more and more. And check this out. You should grow, your love should grow with knowledge and all discernment. Why is he saying that? Because he's linking it here. All discernment, so that you may approve of what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So he says we need to grow in love and grow in knowledge and, and, and grow in discernment. Why? So we can approve of what is excellent. Right? That's our job, not just to let everything in unfiltered, but for us to grow in knowledge and love and discernment that we can approve of what is pure and lovely and good. And, and what is that, that, that grid that we be filled with the righteousness that only comes through Jesus? And that's why when we read scripture, we can't just get centered on a couple of verses. You've got to go back and look at the whole thing. Paul here is describing, yes, we need to, to do this, but the, the discernment, the grid has to be Jesus and his purity in his life, not the culture. And instead of this kind of discerning, it seems that again, we let Facebook do the discerning for us. We let the Facebook algorithm be the one that, that works for us. And, and we just keep scrolling through the toxic sludge and, and letting whatever comes just come our way. And, and there may be some cool recipes and some great Bible verses along the way, but it's the culture that we're allowing so often to conform us. And let's say we're at the bottom end of those numbers I started with this morning. Instead of using six hours a day or 10 hours a day combined, let's say it's just two and a half or three hours a day that we're allowing ourselves to have our mind being infiltrated by all this stuff, even if we're at the low end. And, and let's say right now we're doing the Bible study. We're, we're, we're doing 30 minutes a day of reading through the Bible and spending time with Jesus. That's awesome. 30 minutes a day where we're in the Word or even 15 minutes a day. Fantastic. But what happens when then we then pour three hours of toxic outrage and division and angst and lust and, and all these other things in the world, we pour on it and let the world tell us who we are and everything that's going on. At the end of the day, what has a larger impact in our life and the state of our hearts? Or if we come to church, we spend 70 minutes, you know, letting God speak his words over us and singing out praises to him. That's awesome. 
But at the end of the day, we then go away and we have three hours of just constant bitterness and anger and outrage and comparison and insecurity that's just filtering through our minds. What's going to be the end result at the end of the day? It's not going to be the peace of God. It's going to be angst, insecurity, outrage, bitterness, contentiousness, right? Because what we feed grows. And if we keep feeding ourselves these things, those things are going to grow. What we think about matters. What we do with our body and our mind matters. And instead, we must be discerning, as Paul says here in Philippians. And we must use the scary D word of Christianity, discipline. The word we don't like to talk about. Right? But Paul talks a lot about this idea. Because we must discipline ourselves to focus on the things that are good. To discern what is right and what is lovely and what is pure. It feels so good in the moment just to take the clickbait. Right? It's just so easy and natural just to click on that interesting article. Or can, have you seen what so-and-so did? Or the advertisements that are now you know, trying to hide themselves as news articles that go in all sorts of directions and so many into funky areas of pornography and lust and others just into outrage and bitterness. But it's all just clickbait. And it's so easy and tempting just to take the easy path and walk down that or just to keep scrolling and going through or to get caught up in the comments of divisiveness and feel the need to respond well i feel something differently about that and they need to know or to get caught up in the images of our friends whose lives just seem to be going better than ours right now i mean especially in this time of covid where we're, a lot of us are struggling and then we look in, on Instagram, we look on Facebook, we see the lives of someone who seems like, man, they're knocking out of the park. They, they're holding down their jobs, they're both working, their kids are doing homeschool. And we look at that and, and do we just go, wow, great for them? No, we tend to say, what's wrong with me? Why am I struggling so much? And, and we, we finish the day with more insecurity and lack of contentment for our own lives. Or we see people that are getting outdoors all the time. And, I mean, they just seem to be thriving in the season. And comparison and insecurities continue to be raising within our own hearts and within our lives. But we must lead into the Holy Spirit here. Remember last week, the Spirit is with us. Jesus is near. And we must ask of Him to help us, as Paul says, to focus our attentions, our mind, and our thoughts upon the things of Jesus. And so he says here in verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is lovely. That, that word true, I want to look at just for a second. I mean, there's so many things here we could pull out. I'm just going to focus on that first one, just the first one, true. I mean, that word has taken an interesting, I guess, road and funky trail the last few years of things that are true, right? We won't get into that, but, but things that are true. Last week, we talked about worry, and, and the Bible's saying in Philippians 4 that, you know, that we shouldn't worry, but take it to the Lord. You know, in this, I was reading in this book called The Worry Cure, and it was talking about worry, and it referenced a study that was done that was fascinating to me. And in this study that was done a few years ago, participants were asked to write down all the things that they're worried about. And then they came back later, and they were checking to see, and a huge group of people, what, how many of the things they worried about actually came true, right? So that's the study. What percent of what we worry about is legitimate? And the study was amazing. They found that 85% 85% of what people worried about, about filled their minds of worry, never happened. 85%. But here's the crazy thing. Of the remaining 15%, of the 15% of worry that actually was realized, 79% of the time, it wasn't nearly as bad as they thought it was, and the outcome ended up being okay. So if you do the math, that means 97%. 97% of what we worry about never happens. Isn't true. Talking about truth, 97% of the energy we put into anxiety and worry never occurs. 
97% of it. It's just our mind focusing on stuff of negative things that bring us down that never happen. 97%. How much energy do we expend on things that aren't true just in that one area alone of worry? And even regarding worry, I mean, what we, what we feed grows. It's, so even if these things are, are legitimate, these things that we worry about and are real, what we feed grows. And it's amazing that we can look at what Paul says, you know, like just pray about it. He says, take your worries in chapter four we saw last week. And he says, and pray about them and take them to the Lord. And we go, okay, so I'll take my worries to the Lord. But then we spend the rest of our day pouring worry into our lives, reading things that create more angst, more division, more anxiety. And then at the end of the day, we say, oh, Jesus, take my worry. Without even worrying about, like, let's turn the tap down a little bit, right? Let's turn that pressure down of this constant sewage pipe pouring into our lives. And we say, oh, Jesus, help me with my anger. Okay, great prayer. But then if all day long, we're just you know, hooked directly up to this direct line that's feeding us division and bitterness and angst and outrage. And then just say, oh, Jesus, would you help my anger? Oh, Jesus, help renew my mind. Give me a pure mind. Well, we're looking at pornography every chance we get and clicking on the side clickbait links on all the articles of taking us these places, filling our mind with lust and saying, Jesus, give me a pure mind. We have responsibility for our thought life. We have to use discernment. I mean, it's like if, if I'm reading a dieting magazine of how to eat healthy while eating a box of a dozen donuts, right? And just saying, well, at least I'm thinking about eating healthy. I mean, this is going to help me, isn't it? Right? It's, it's just what we're doing is killing us. Because what we feed grows. We have to take responsibilities, what Paul is saying here, for what goes in our mind. We have to recognize the role that we play in our selfishness, in our divisiveness, in our anger, in our worry, in our angst, in all these things. So much of it is because of what we're feeding on. And Paul does not believe in that sacred secular split. He believes that we are whole persons. And so we have to be aware. So following the news is great. It's wonderful to stay abreast of what's going on. I read the news regularly. That's a wonderful thing. But if our reading of the news is causing us to be more divisive or more worried or more angst or are filling with the worry of the end of the world or whatever it may be, we are using very poor discernment and we need to dial it back, right? I mean, it just seems like obvious, an obvious response, but yet we, we really fail at living it out. Obviously, staying in touch with our friends and neighbors and coworkers and classmates from back in high school or on Ancestry DNA, those are awesome. But if the fruit of that is bitterness and divisiveness, and it leads us toward political discussions and debate that just turn into hurting one another, obviously we lack discernment and we lack discretion. We need to come back to Jesus. I mean, an easy question to ask in this is what is the fruit of my time that's being spent in, in, in media or in the news or anything else? What's the fruit of that? Is it leading me to be more peaceful? Is it giving more joy? Is it allowing me to be more gentle and kind to other people? Or is it creating more angst? Is it a coping mechanism to numb the pain? Do I find that every time there's silence or a moment where there's not something happening, I pull out my phone and keep using the scroll to just see what might be going on because I can't be still for a second? Does it lead to judgment and selfishness? For many of us, that's where these things lead. And we can't allow those toxic aspects of the culture to shape us. And Paul doesn't just stop here with, with our thought life, right? He, he continues on. Paul isn't a Greek philosopher. He's not writing a self-help book in Philippians, right? This isn't a TED Talk just giving us some great ideas in 15 minutes of how to improve our lives. But Paul's doing so much more than that. So in the next verse, in verse 9, he gives them the response. He says, What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, 
Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So here Paul says, follow my example. Look at everything I've been telling you, and all that you've seen in me, and do what I do. Follow my example. It's not the first time he's told them. In the previous chapter, just in chapter 3, verse 17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Look at the people who are living out this life, who are doing this, and follow our example. Or the most famous one, chapter 11, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians, where he says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So Paul is saying here, don't just think positive thoughts. This isn't, don't just focus your head on unicorns and, and, and rainbows and cotton candy, right? This, this isn't a kuna matata. This isn't just live your life in a way without worries. He's saying here that you need to take control of your thought life. Use discernment in doing this. And, but that's not enough. He says, put it into practice. Follow my example. Live as I have lived. Follow my example, which is the example of Christ. So in verse 9, he says, look at my life and live accordingly. This is what we're supposed to do. Not just talking about the thought life, but actually changing the way we live. The gospel must be embodied. It has to be lived out. This book of Philippians is not a book of just how to get more joy or get more peace for the Philippians, right? It's not telling them how to live a better life. He's speaking to a church that is in pain and suffering and and filled with division. And he's telling them this is what it means to be salt and light in the world. This is how the gospel goes up. This is what that upward call looks like. He's trying to break through their pride and their selfishness and to wake them up to the reality of the gospel. That the gospel, again, is not some internal self-improvement program. It's not just designed to make us better people, but it's for the Philippians to get them outside the walls of the church and to be an example and proclaim the gospel through their lives. And that gospel requires looking to others' interests more than just our own. It means fighting for unity, whatever the cost, because there's no bigger stake or no bigger battle that's out there. It means battling against our own selfishness, battling against all the stuff that's trying to fill our heads and control our thought life. It's the gospel that sees the cross not just as a way of remembering what Christ has done, but it's actually as, an, as a model, as an example to follow, to live as he lived, and to love as he loved. That cruciform life that requires sacrifice and, and discipline and discernment, reshaping how we spend our time and what we think about. So what does that mean for us today? That's great for the Philippians, but what about us today? Again, this letter is not just about how to find peace and joy. I mean, that's why a lot of people like the book of Philippians. Let's go because it's the book of peace and joy and unity. And those are great things, but that's not why Paul wrote this letter. Not for us just to try and become better people from, you know, navel gazers looking at ourselves and saying, I want to improve myself. Self, what are the, my, the steps I can make to make me a, just a better person because I want to feel better and have more peace and contentment and joy. That's not what this letter's about. I mean, the joy and the peace are wonderful and they are avenues by which the gospel reaches the world outside the walls of the church. But he's telling them, we must proclaim the gospel with our lives. And to do that, He gives us the example. This is what it looks like. The cruciform life. The cross. The way of Jesus. We talked about a couple weeks ago in chapter 2. The way to do this is we have to be willing to make sacrifices. To deny some of the things that are the most pleasurable and the easiest pathways of, of experiencing fake joy these days through all the stuff we do. And we need to reshape our thought life and become filters placed in of the gospel what is good of what we allow into our heads and into our minds. 
We have to see our lives transformed because we need to be asking, Lord Jesus, I want to love what you love. Help me, Jesus, to think your thoughts, to see what you see. Help shape it so that the, the things that you love become the things that I love. That the things that you think about become the things that I think about. Help me to live as you've lived. Help me to love as you love. And that means we need changes in our life. We have to make a difference in this. And it means we got to spend time in his word. We have to spend time with him and to say, Jesus, help me proclaim your gospel with my life. And it isn't easy. I mean, church, how many times have we prayed for revival in this community? In Mill Creek and Bothell. I, I hope it's, it's been a ton I know Steve's praying for all the time, and I am too, and we need to keep praying for revival in the Mill Creek area, in the Bothell area, and beyond. But even more than we pray for that, even more than we're praying for revival in Mill Creek and in Bothell in this area, we need to be praying for revival right here. And by here, I don't mean in Northview, though that's also good. I mean right here within me, within us. We need to receive, see a revival within our hearts, of our hearts looking at Jesus and saying, we want to live like you lived. We want to love like you love and help us identify the things that are preventing us from living that life. That's the revival that we need. We can't pray for God to do stuff out there without it starting right here and saying, Jesus, change my life. Change my heart. Show me where I'm not in alignment to your will and your ways. Show me where there's things that are pouring into my mind that are, that are tainting the reality of the, my ability to, to live out the gospel, where the gospel's being hindered because of the junk that I'm constantly pouring into my head, Jesus, because I want to live your life. I want to live like you live, Jesus. I need revival in here. Because it starts here in order for it to go out there. And it's got to be a reality in our life, church. And it's harder than ever right now because we're in this experience right now with, with COVID and all the rest of this stuff where we just allow, we, the reality is, church, we become lazy. This whole thing of, of social distancing, which is, I understand, necessary, but we've not just socially distanced, we've disengaged in so many ways. We, we've, we've disengaged from the world and from the culture in so many ways and we've allowed screen time and all these other distractions and numbing mechanisms to fill our lives and we're just sidelining ourselves from the gospel in so many ways. Not all of us, but so many of us in the church. But the reality is, COVID's ending soon. <laughs> right? The, the, it's, it's, it's temporary. And even while it's still here, we don't have to take the easy path. We don't have to give in. We can do as Paul says in chapter 3, verse 13. He put it up here. Of, of verse 13, he says, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal, the goal for the prize of the upward call that is in Christ Jesus. He strains, he uses imagery of like an athlete training for the Olympics or, or a boxer or a runner saying, This takes energy, it takes discernment, it takes effort to do this. But it's the only way that we're going to see revival happen. We have to be willing to not choose the easy path. And even as things open up, we have to be willing to shake off all these new habits that we've adopted of distancing from one another. And we have to re-engage and we have to engage the culture. We have to engage our neighbors, engage our, our, our coworkers, engage the waiters at restaurants and the clerks at the grocery store and the world at large and recognize that we are the gospel that people read. Why does Paul say, follow my example? It's because there was no Bible for those people to read. 
right? They didn't have the Bible to read. They didn't have the words of Jesus written down. Paul's life was the Bible that they read. And for us today, it's the same for most people. For us, they're not reading about Jesus. They're seeing our lives. They're seeing our joy and our peace or the lack thereof. And they're making assumptions based upon who Jesus is, based upon the way we live and the way we love. And so church, as we finish, just a a practical question for us as application for this week. Over this past year, are the fruits of the Spirit more and more evident in my life? I encourage you this week, take some time on this. Just sit with the Lord. Do I find myself more joyful this year than I was last year? More filled with peace? More filled with joy? More more self-control? Are those growing in my life in this season? Am I more generous this year than I was last year? Am I more at peace this year than I was last year? And if the answer is no, which is going to be the case for most of us probably, it's probably really good for us to go back and say, Lord, what is causing this? What am I allowing to fill my mind? What thoughts are consuming me these days that are pushing me down this direction? And come to the Lord and say, Lord, where do I need to bring reorder and discipline back into my thought life? back into my actions, to align my heart back into yours. So it's the things that are true and lovely and beautiful would flourish instead of the trash that often we give free reign to. Amen? Jesus, help us reorder. Help us do some house cleaning even this week. Help us identify where the world's faucet is on full blast, just unhindered. And help us seek your thoughts and what you love. Oh, Jesus, we we want to proclaim the gospel with our lives. Show us where it's being hindered, Lord Jesus. And even help us take time this week to reflect on that, Lord. Father, we want our lives to be a reflection of your beauty and your glory, Lord.